Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and worldwide. Well, a very warm welcome to all our listeners to this Global Council podcast, which is on uh, the recent negotiation of the next EU long-term budget. Uh, that's uh, The budget itself is called the Multiannual Financial Framework, MFF for short. And this time with it came uh, the Recovery Fund. Uh, and I'm joined uh, here by my colleague, Anna Martinez, uh, who is our senior associate who specializes in the EU institutions. And my name is Denzel Davidson, and I lead the financial services practice and also work on EU issues. And this issue is one of particular fascination to me because I was in the policy team, the British side for the previous multi-annual financial framework negotiations in 2012, 2013, and there in the Prime Minister's team in February 13, when the last one was clinched. But it's been a different game this time. Uh, now, Anna, would you be able to talk us through the main features of what's been agreed? Sure. Thanks, Denzel. Um, so the package that EU leaders agreed upon includes an MFF of 1.074 trillion euro, a recovery fund amounting to 750 billion, of which 390 billion will be grants and 360 loans. Uh, it also includes new own resources, i.e. EU taxes, such as a tax on non-recycled plastic waste, um, a carbon um, border a levy and a digital tax. Um, it contains conditionalities on respect for the rule of law, as well as economic conditionalities and an emergency break. Um, this emergency break basically uh, would allow any member state to suspend payments from the recovery fund for approximately three months. Uh, it's also interesting to note that um, it also stipulates that 30% of the recovery fund's expenditure must be relevant to tackling climate change, um, but it falls short of making the access to funds conditional on signing up uh, to net neutrality by 2050. Um, another point that was uh, very much discussed here in Brussels uh, were the rebates um, and, and these were preserved um, in the text that was agreed last week uh, for the biggest net contributors uh, to the EU budget, including um, the so-called uh, Frugal Four, so uh, Austria, Denmark, the Netherlands and Sweden. Um, the text uh, falls short as well of taking forward a proposal from the European Commission, um, which was um, very dear to, to many, um, which suggested the establishment of a solvency fund uh, to assist viable um, EU companies in danger of failing um, due to COVID-19. So that in a nutshell is what was agreed um, last week. Um, but Denzel, since uh, you were part of the policy team working on the British government's position in the last MFF, um, and given your experience working in this issue, I was wondering whether you could tell us more about what you think are the institutional interests this time around. Yes, thank you, Anna. Well, uh, the the council are, are, are 
as were often the defenders in this, because the Commission always wants a bigger budget. That's because uh, its ability to do things depends uh, to carry out programs on agriculture, cohesion, or what some people call more forward-looking uh, areas like research or, or defence. Part of its ambitions for a strategic Europe depend upon a bigger budget. And the Parliament usually wants a bigger budget still. So what the Commission usually does to start off with is it proposes something which it knows is more than the Member States will accept. Uh, and then the Parliament leans in and demands something still bigger because it knows that uh, there'll be Member States hacking away at the overall total uh, from the start. And of course, this is a, a vitally important to understand. This was a unanimity negotiation. Everyone has to agree. Otherwise, the old budget is simply rolled over. And that's very important in the dynamics. So the those who need new money the most or are keenest for new projects to happen are the ones uh, you know, who feel under time pressure. But it's been a bit different, of course, this time because of the pandemic and the recovery fund has been uh, put forward as, as the budgetary solution to this, the European budgetary solution. And this has led some people to say this is or could be a Hamiltonian moment. Um, now, I think that claim is a, a bit too bold, but it is certainly a big and significant step in itself. We're not looking at the mutualization of past debts. And even though the EU budget has effectively nearly doubled in size, it's still the case that the main fiscal payers are the member states. And after all, this recovery fund is supposed to be temporary. It's supposed to be a one off. But nevertheless, a precedent is a precedent. So uh, when the next emergency comes along, the Commission will say, well, we did this in the past and you guys have got used to spending about 2% of Europe's GDP on the EU budget, so let's not do it again. And of course, we're seeing EU debt issued in quantities never seen before, and that may establish something of a yield curve for it. So it, it is a, a step towards something a bit more state-like on, on the European level in the fiscal space, but we're not looking at uh, the crystallising moment yet uh, when uh, you can say, yes, this really is something uh, uh, that, that only a state does. That's very interesting. I also wanted to ask you, Denzel, about another issue that was very important uh, for companies, and that is um, the European Commission's proposal for a tax on large companies benefiting from the single market. Um, I know this is part of um, the, the, the EU's plans to put forward new own resources um, to fund uh, the recovery fund, but I was wondering whether you could tell us a bit more about what EU leaders agreed in this area, in, in the area of own resources. Thank you, Anna. Yes, this has been a, a, a part of the uh, of the council conclusions. What's been agreed that is almost as as interesting as as the move uh, to establish a recovery fund, and and that is that it's been a long while since uh, there have been new EU own resources, EU taxes, to speak plainly, uh, and that's because there are usually losers and winners, and uh, the losers, if the governments think they're losers have a veto, uh, it being a unanimity negotiation. Uh, and what they've done here is that because uh, the 750 billion euro recovery fund 
is going to have to be raised from borrowing from the capital markets and will need repaying. They've agreed that these new own resources will be the, the first vehicle, the initial vehicle that will hopefully pay back the lot by 2058. And that creates a strong incentive for people to agree to these uh, new EU taxes. Now, as you were saying, uh, the, the only one they've absolutely uh, fixed is the tax on uh, non-recyclable uh, plastics, uh, plastic waste. But uh, there are a number of other proposals. The levy on large companies that benefit from the single market has bitten the dust. Uh, it looks like there were too many people who thought that this wouldn't be good for the large companies that uh, are an important part of, of their economies. And it is, after all, a bit counterintuitive when presumably you want these large companies to pay a, a big role in helping the recovery along and then taxing them some more for simply for economic activity. Uh, wasn't an obvious way uh, to go about encouraging uh, the recovery. So the remaining um, uh, elements, the remaining proposals are a bit less certain. Uh, I mean, we know that the Commission has said, the, the Council conclusions say that the Commission will put forward a proposal in the first semester of next year on a carbon border adjustment mechanism and also on a digital levy with the conclusion, say, a view to their introduction at the latest by the 1st of January 2023. Uh, now, a carbon border adjustment is bound to be controversial and a digital levy we know is already very controversial, um, particularly for relations between the EU and the US. Uh, uh, so the language there is quite interesting because the Commission is bound to put it forward but no one is bound to agree there. It's just with a view to their introduction uh, at the beginning of 2023. But there is certainly that means an awful lot of impetus uh, towards the, their being introduced and being agreed. Uh, and as I would say, if uh, if the uh, recovery fund isn't to be funded from this, then it will have to be funded uh, directly from member states uh, contributions, which might well be uh, less welcome. Uh, by uh, countries like Austria and the Netherlands and Sweden. Um, the Commission is also going to uh, put forward a revised proposal on the emissions trading scheme and they're looking at extending it. Uh, and then you've got, we've got some very vague working wording on the work towards the introduction of other own resources. So that doesn't really bind anyone. It's, they say it may include a financial transactions tax. Well, uh, we've been talking in enhanced cooperation, that's just a group of EU countries, about a financial transaction tax for years. So there's a bit more impetus there, but uh, nothing yet to say that this is, we can talk with certainty uh, about this as a proposal. And obviously what uh, member states, treasuries will, and finance ministries will now be doing is looking at these potential taxes and working out how much uh, their economies would pay towards them. And we can expect them to be more enthusiastic about ones they think other countries' economies are going to pay more and less enthusiastic about ones that they expect will impinge more on them. And uh, this year's uh, negotiations on the MFF have taken, have taken longer. I'm sure that um, some of the discussions were also around uh, the wording, as you, as you mentioned, of the new own resources. But uh, what do you think, uh, apart from this um, 
what what do you think um this year's negotiations have have made them so long and and more difficult than in previous years yes well there are three uh there have been three big differences from uh last time from uh the 2012-2013 negotiations uh the first and by far the most important is obviously we're in the midst of a pandemic which has caused a, a grave uh recession the second is uh germany's take on the right response to that and the third is the absence of the united kingdom now on the first uh in february we were having a normal multi-annual financial framework negotiation and Charles Michel, the president of the European Council, whose job it, it has been to shepherd the member states towards an agreement, uh, found that he wasn't getting any near. And then we had the pandemic, pandemic, and this has, uh, has changed everything. So we have a pretty well Europe-wide recession. And what is different about this from the last crisis is that there's no moral question there's no one to uh, no EU member states that is blameworthy for this or others that are more virtuous. It is a, what, what you call an, an act of God. Uh, whereas in the Eurozone crisis, uh, the North saw the South uh, as sinners. They thought that these were countries who had run uh, their public finances imprudently, that had failed to engage in in tough reforms to make their economy more competitive, whether of labour markets, whether of uh, their insolvency laws, um, or the size of their public sectors. So uh, the, no one felt the North, the richer countries, didn't feel that, that those who needed or wanted more EU spending more didn't think they had any moral claim on it. And that's different this time. Uh, and that is part of the reason why uh, we've had this decisive change of view from Germany. So Germany has traditionally hunted on the edge of the frugal's pack. And that was certainly true uh, last time in the negotiation um, I was uh, involved in. But th this time, uh, Germany has pushed very, very hard for a large and generous um, a recovery fund that alongside France. Now, to an extent, you can say this is the return of the Franco-German motor, uh, and we will come on to uh, the absence of the UK from the EU now uh, in a moment on, on, on what that, that means for this motor. But uh, although uh, the French government has been briefing about how they influenced Germany, about the conversations uh, President Macron had with Olaf Scholz, the, the German finance minister, and while it is certainly true that having uh, the SPD in government, the German government does change things. Ultimately, these things are decided by the German Chancellor. And what is clear is that Chancellor Merkel not only did not think that this was a question of whether uh, you are rewarding bad, uh, bad fiscal behavior by, being, uh, by giving aid through a recovery fund, but she saw this as a strategic question about the preservation of certainly the European Union's well-being, but possibly uh, even its survival, that if uh, the, those southern, southern countries that have been worst hit by the pandemic weren't given support, then their economic future was in doubt and uh, also their political future, because there are what are called in Brussels populists, particularly in Italy, 
who were claiming that uh, the European Union was doing uh, nothing uh, and, and therefore the, there, was, there should be uh, a deep questioning about these countries' places in the EU. So Merkel, uh, with Macron, made a proposal for, for this recovery fund, um, uh, which followed a lot of work by the European Commission. And they, that essentially set the baseline for the negotiation. And, from, and we haven't shifted from that since. But then there's, of course, a, the, there's the third element, which is the United Kingdom's absence this time. Uh, and it's, a lot of people have been saying, oh, things would never have been uh, like this at all because the UK would have vetoed it. And, but it's difficult to hypothesize about counterfactuals because had uh, the UK voted the other way in 2016, then a lot of other things would have been different. And one can easily end up just shoring up one's own biases. But the UK has always been uh, the big member state on the side of the frugals, uh, a country that was unafraid about making itself unpopular with some of its, its partners. And without a, a big member state to champion um, the, the cause of, of budget frugality, uh, and which was always highly doubtful about new own resources, uh, the remaining frugals who are all small to middling sized uh, countries um, uh, the Netherlands, Austria, Denmark, Sweden, and Finland on the edges there, uh, they haven't been able to resist uh, the push because, of course, although it's a unanimity negotiation and you can veto it if you like, you have other interests. The EU is, uh, is an ongoing uh, multifaceted haggling process in which dozens of deals are taking place all at the same time. And of course you can, if where you have unanimity, stifle someone else's um, uh, desires, but they can get back to you in other, uh, at you in other negotiations. So uh, unless you're, you're really big and ugly, you've got to, as, as the big member states are, you've got to think very carefully about where you draw the line. I wanted to come back to one point that you mentioned earlier, and that is that about the position of richer countries versus that of uh, southern member states. Um, we've seen that this year the division between um, north and south has increased. Um, do you think that the deal will be enough for southern member states to cope with the economic impact of the pandemic? And for northern member states um, to claim victory back home and, like you were saying, defeat um, the, the, the populists? Well, the EU is a collection of 27 now countries, all with their own different interests and their different national cultures. So it, the EU is necessarily a difficult balancing act, trying to accommodate uh, everyone in, so that at least they can live with the outcome. And what has been achieved with this uh, recovery fund is should be economically significant for countries like Italy and Spain and Portugal and Greece. Uh, so their leaders, and particularly, I think, Prime Minister Conte, uh, have been given the ammunition to say, look, this is what the European Union has done for us. And now it's a question of whether they can target that ammunition politically and win the argument that the EU has helped uh, in their hour of need. Uh, and that's a, a, a political question. It will depend on their political abilities and 
political cards, uh, some other domestic political cards they've been dealt, but uh, the help is there. What is slightly worrying is uh, that whether the help will arrive fast enough, because as we know, the economics effects are going to be felt pretty swiftly from, uh, from this crisis, but the recovery fund will take a bit longer to have an effect and the solvency fund, which might have helped rather sooner, was not agreed. Um, on the other hand, there's also the politics of the frugals. Now, the fact is that uh, this was a, ended up being an exercise in damage limitation for them. If we look at where they started, they, when the pandemic happened, they, they kind of see, could see the case for a recovery fund, but they wanted it to be entirely made up of, of loans rather than grants. Well, they've ended up with 390 billion euros of grants and they wanted very, very strict uh, conditionality uh, on how it was used. They wanted as much uh, member state uh, control as possible. And the Dutch were even proposing council unanimity so that they had a, uh, they could deadlock anything. And they've ended up a long, long way from there. And the, the EU budget hasn't uh, shrunk in the way uh, that would reflect the fact that they're, they're short of a uh, now of one larger member state than they were last time. But they, they fought hard and their publics could see that they fought hard and they have some real compensations. Uh, they've kept generous rebates. Uh, the uh, share of, own, uh, of, of take from uh, customs duties that member states get to, to get to keep rather than handing it over to the EU has been kept up. And that's particularly important for uh, the port rich Netherlands. Uh, and they have some some aspects of condition of lighter conditionality on the rule of law on economic reform and then, then there's this uh, emergency break so they have something to show for it but the fact is that as i said this is not what they originally wanted and what will be interesting and very important will be to see how this plays out over uh, a few years what their publics make of uh, an eu that takes two percent of uh, of the budget rather than of, of national GDP rather than roughly one percent, um, and the the first Dutch polls that have come out showing that uh, only a very very small share of, of the Dutch electorate thought uh, their Prime Minister Mark Rutte was too hard, and they're essentially divided between those who think he got it about right and those who think he was far too soft. Uh, now that shows how important it was in securing uh, domestic political acceptability for the deal that Mr. Rutter did fight and did negotiate uh, as hard as he did. He got most of his own party, the VVD, his own party's voters uh, uh, behind him. But it shows that uh, if the EU is going to maintain this level of spending without uh, the justification of a really grave pandemic, then that looks likely to have create some real political difficulties in a number of uh, of northern European countries. And then the other thing, of course, that's going to be really interesting and important is how the German public reacts over the long term. And the German public have been sold this as a one-off temporary measure response to an emergency. Well, let's see if it if it is that, as we were saying at the start. You know, uh, there are a lot of people who now expect 2% of GDP to be the new normal. Um, now, uh, Anna, uh, as I was just saying, you know, one of the points of contention 
was this question of the rule of law. And particularly in Poland and Hungary, but elsewhere, uh, a number of Western European countries think that the rule of law uh, is shakier than it should be and is being abused by some countries who are large recipients of EU funds. Uh, and uh, where have they ended up on this? And what do you think is going to happen next? The text is ambiguous on, on purpose. So um, there, there, when, when we talk to people in, in the Brussels uh, bubble, the EU bubble, um, they say that uh, the president of the European Council, Charles Michel, actually did this on purpose um, because after a very, very long uh, European Council summit, uh, the agreement was nearly done, but the the, the veto of, of Poland and Hungary remained um, if the wording on the rule of law were to to be um, as precise, let's say, um, as as many wanted it to be. Um, so so this was something done consciously by Charles Michel. And um, I mean, understandably, this is something that has created confusion, though, as to what the next steps are and what the wording actually means in practice. So I think um, it's fair to say that what happened uh, is that the tension and the discussion on this has just been postponed um, and that indeed um, this will this will continue disagreements on the rule of law will, will continue to reappear um after the summer break thank you anna and uh the the rule of law isn't the only contentious issue because we have an unhappy european parliament as well don't we that's right um the european parliament as you know and as many listeners will know has a veto power over the mff so um they approve it as a whole or they reject it as a whole. Um, and uh, although they have threatened to veto budgets in the past uh, and never carried out the, their threat, this time, though, it seems different. It seems like there's a growing consensus among MEPs that the budget just falls short of fulfilling their expectations. Um, just to give you uh, and our listeners a bit of background, uh, last week over 450 MEPs voted in favor of a non-binding resolution reflecting their uh, disagreement or unhappiness on, on various issues. Um, these included, um, you know, as, as, as I was mentioning before, a weakened conditionality on respect for the rule of law, but also uh, lower spending compared to what the European Commission um, proposed in the areas of research, uh, health or climate. Um, and they were also asking for more specific and concrete details on on own resources, because, as you know, um, on, on the issue of um, the digital services tax, the European Parliament has always been very much in favour of it. Um, and MEPs want to see um, more concrete promises and have argued that they will only approve the budget if it includes um, this um, as part of the of the MFF. The reality, though, is is a bit different, and um, MEPs um, ultimately are quite unlikely to block the deal. I think for 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 two main reasons. 
the first one is that um, this is just an exercise to to show um, to showcase their power, um, and actually blocking it, vetoing the the budget would only delay uh, the decision and and therefore the distribution of funds. Um, and as you were mentioning before, Denzel, there are many countries that are are waiting to receive those funds and are quite dependent on them. Um, and the second one is that MEPs are also aware that um, many member states, that this is a concession for, for everyone, and that indeed many member states are not willing to agree on additional uh, concessions. So blocking it would only mean going back to the start um, with no reassurance or no certainty that um, it, it would be better um, during during the next um, next try. Yes, well, there's a lot of, of fascinating politics uh, and intense negotiation to come. So we have to, uh, we need uh, an own resources decision to be uh, written up, and, uh, agreed, and legislated and implemented uh, in member states, uh, and of course, and the budget legislation as well. So uh, there's much more to come and we'll be following this topic very closely. And uh, I hope everyone uh, will have a, a good summer to all our listeners. Thank you very much for listening. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.